Welcome to Sunspots, where we explore the many ways that the Holy Spirit is working in the people, places, ministries, and missions on the surface of the sun. That is, the synod of the sun. I'm Thomas Riggs, Communication and Administration Coordinator. Our prayer is that you find inspiration, community, and connection in the sun. Let's get started. This summer, the Synod of the Sun began a series of conversations called Living in Liminal Space, a conversation seeking wisdom on the way. Hosted by Bridge Interim Synod Leader and Stated Clerk Steve Shive, these dialogues are a way for people to discuss the liminality of a post-pandemic and post-Christian world, as well as the liminal space in which the Synod finds itself now. On October 12th, Thomas Riggs welcomed Mike Clausen, who is the administrator for Illumin, a nonprofit founded by Richard Rohr to promote healthy masculinity through contemplative spirituality and deep inner work. The focus of the conversation was what Christians can learn from the spiritual but not religious. You are invited to join this conversation. You can present your questions and thoughts via email to synod.leader at synodsun.org. Let's listen in now. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to to our liminal conversation this morning. I am Thomas Riggs, the Administration and Communication Coordinator for Synod of the Sun. I am standing in for Steve Shive, who is with a passel of of other EPs and GPs at a board of pensions gathering in St. Louis. And so while they're all there um, having those conversations, we get to be here and have our conversation. And if you have yet to be a part of this, um, a part of this conversation, the liminal conversations was started as a means of helping us kind of traverse this new terrain we are in. Um, as we live and walk in the church, um, living in a time of transformation um, that does not happen overnight, that we're evolving between the things that was and the things that will be. We're on the threshold of leaving one place of being and crossing over to another. And so the idea of these conversations is to talk about that liminal space and to talk about where we are and what we are doing. And where we might be going, and there was no one better. I, in, you know, I, I'm not just saying this. In in reading the bio of our of our guest this morning, I thought this this is a person who can really help us kind of in that conversation. So we invited to this room um, Mike Clausen. He is the administrator for help me if I get this wrong, Illumin or Illuman, Illumin. a nonprofit founded by Richard Rohr to promote healthy masculinity through contemplative spirituality and deep inner work. He is also the co-founder of the New Story Festival, together with Gareth Higgins. Okay, very good. Produce, producing transformational events for creativity, community, and the common good. Uh, he has a PhD in religion from Baylor and is taught at APTS and was an emerging church pastor in the Chicago suburbs. Originally 
from the Northwoods of Michigan. Um, he and his two teenage daughters currently live in the beautiful city of Austin, Texas. So, Mike, welcome. Is there any uh, additional things you want to say as you introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Um, I, uh, besides those credentials of uh, <clears throat> education and church work and uh, uh, other ministry, um, my own story is one of uh, growing up in a evangelical, uh, very conservative background, evolving out of that through what some of you might remember as the emerging church movement back in the day. Um, ended up going to a, a, a PCUSA seminary here in Austin uh, and then later taught there. Um, and uh, just been on this continual evolution uh, of my own faith and my own spirituality. And there's a way in which I, uh, excuse me, the uh, this category of the spiritual but not religious, I have a, a more than a foot in that world uh, myself these days. Um, having entirely left uh, what I call church world, but uh, but increasingly find my identity and my community elsewhere. Um, so I'm able to speak to this both from the position of study uh, and ministry, but also from the position of my own uh, my own personal background and story. So, Mike, if, if you would, and thank you for that, um, if you would please describe for us how you see the religious landscape in America changing. Yeah, yeah. So if any of you have tracked these numbers at all, if you've seen Gallup polls or the Pew Research, uh, and I really, I highly recommend the Pew uh, Research on Religion, uh, the data shows that there's this this steep decline in Christians uh, in America, we're talking about the US, um, and a steep corresponding rise in what we call nuns. So that's not people who wear habits and live in monasteries. This is N-O-N-E-S, people who claim no religion. They're, when they take these surveys, they check off the nun box uh, when they're asked what religious affiliation they have. And so that's that that descriptor, the nuns, has grown from 16 percent in 2007 to 29 percent in just 15 years uh, in 2022. Uh, Christianity, uh, Christians in America at the same time have declined from 78 percent to 63 percent. So you, you have one graph going like this and you have the other graph uh, going like this downward. Um, they haven't crossed it, obviously. The prediction is in about 40 years, if the trends continue, uh, the nuns, the non-religious, will be in the majority here in the U.S. And an interesting thing about this is that um, this category of nuns, religious non-affiliation, is a stickier identity than Christianity these days. In other words, people who are raised unaffiliated, who are raised with no religion, are more likely to stay that way than people that are raised Christians. People that are raised Christians often tend to uh, deconvert or switch to something else uh, later in life. People who are raised without religion tend to stay that way. Um, not entirely, but uh, but it's it's stickier. There's, it's more likely. So um, you have you have these trends, these numbers. Um, what do they mean? Why is that happening? Uh, it's hard to say. You know, uh, people who study this will give lots of possible explanations, but the data alone can't necessarily tell us. Now, at the same time, they have done studies that say that they ask people, OK, why did you deconvert? Why are you no longer religious? And so when people are asked why they left their faith, 
there's a number of answers, about four different answers that are predominant. About half, about 50% say they just don't believe anymore. And this falls into two categories. There are people that are uh, that have deconstructed their faith. It was an intellectual or personal spiritual journey um, where they just started asking questions or maybe something happened uh, that disillusioned them from the faith and they they thought their way out of it. They evolved into something different um, or they just dropped it because it was because the questions uh, um, were hard and the answers were unsatisfying. Um, and one of the things that's going on there is that you know, the, the cause of this deconstruction, this evolution out of religion is a number of things, depending on where the person started. Uh, but it boils down to the church failing to adapt to a changing world. You know, the society is increasingly uh, changing at this rapid pace. You know, every year it feels like we're in some new uh, some new world culturally, socially. Um, and the churches are just they're not keeping up. And this is true both on kind of, let's say, the conservative and, and liberal or let's say evangelical and mainline ends of the spectrum in the Protestant world, evangelicals fail to adapt their message, their theology. It's, you know, it's stuck in the 1910s. Uh, mainliners failed to adapt their methods. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a, what I call liturgical fundamentalism. This is the way we've always done it. You know, this is the way our church has been structured since the time of John Calvin. You know, who are we to change it? Um, and and so there's this um, inability to innovate uh, or, or this unwillingness to innovate, to adapt. And not that all innovation is good and not that, you know, we should just throw everything out. But there's um, but when the world is changing so fast and we're not adapting to people's new realities, then people start asking questions. And eventually, if we can't give them good enough answers, they leave. Um the second part of this 50% that say they just don't believe or it's just not their thing anymore is they're, they're uninterested. They don't need religion. They just kind of found this is not helping me. This is not serving me. Um, there, there's kind of a, I mean, I've had conversations like this all the time where people say, you know, why, why bother? Why bother with religion when it doesn't address anything that I actually care about when the sermons are about, uh, you know, obscure theological points that I really could care less about um, when it's not actually teaching me how to, you know, in Christian lingo, be a disciple to, to follow and live the faith. Um, it's just not relevant. So that's the first reason people just uh, they just become uh, disillusioned and, and ask and start asking questions or they just become uninterested and find that it's not relevant. Second reason, 20% say that they they really dislike organized religion, that they've been disillusioned and turned off by the institution of the church. Um, they're disillusioned with culture wars, with hate-filled religion, or the failure of other Christians to stand up to the hate-filled ones, um, especially uh, the kind of anti-gay and anti-women rhetoric that you hear coming from, you know, mostly from the, uh, the right-hand side of the spectrum. but also for mainliners, let's be honest. It's not a panacea uh, on that side either. Um, so people hear that and they, they say, why would I want to be a part of that? You know, an institution that excludes me or excludes the people that I care about and I love. Um, there's a, a lot of disillusion. I mean, we see these trends accelerating since 2016, which most of us know what happened in 2016 um, with the uh, with US politics, um, this increasing co-optation by the, by the political right of 
of religion. Um, and, I, you know, I, to deliver some bad news, um, people don't know that there are other options out there besides the far right. That they don't know that other kinds of Christians exist. All they see are the exclusionary, hate-filled, anti-gay um, uh, versions of Christianity. That because, um, to be blunt, uh, mainliners suck at marketing. <laughs> we we are not good at getting our message out there. We we're not even good at being visible. I have non-religious friends who literally don't believe me when I tell tell them that other kinds of Christians exist. That that queer friendly churches exist, that socially engaged churches exist, that um, they, they just they're like, no, that's that's not possible um, in religious terms. You know, it's not marketing, it's evangelism. There's kind of an allergy to um, putting ourselves out there sometimes among certain kinds of churches. And so people just don't know we exist. They don't. And they become disillusioned then with the church that seems um, like it's going to make them worse people, not better people. Uh, so half say they've, uh, they just don't believe anymore. 20% say they don't like organized religion. About 18% say they're unsure, undecided. And these are agnostics. These are seekers, spiritual seekers, people that are looking for a new spiritual home or trying out different options. These are, uh, people that are unaffiliated, but still religious. They still believe, um, they still care about their faith, but they just, they don't want to be a part of the church anymore. Um, they, uh, <clears throat> the questions are too great or they, they, the relevance is too little, but they still care. They, they haven't lost their faith. Uh, and then also in this category is what we call the spiritual, but not religious, um, which I'll focus on more in a little bit, but, um, yeah, folks that have dropped the religious label, but they still, uh, have this attraction to what they would call spirituality. So I'll say more about what that means in a, in a minute. Um, but I do want to say a lot of people in this category, the unsure, the undecided, the seekers, they are out there forging their own way. They're exploring other options. They're um, finding other possibilities that have less cultural and historical and social baggage. Maybe they're part of a, a Buddhist sangha uh, or a, a yoga group that brings some spiritual elements. Maybe they're part of uh, what we call the conscious community. This is kind of, you might recognize them as neo-hippies. Um, having ecstatic dance experiences, um, uh, meditative experiences. A lot of these folks overlap with the, the Burning Man culture and the, and the Burning Man subculture, where it's about art and self-expression and, uh, and freedom. A lot of this overlaps with the queer community. Um, people are finding their meaning and their kind of, we, they might not call it this, but you know, an outside observer, a scholar like myself would say, this is a spiritual community. It's providing meaning, it's providing identity, it's providing connection and community. Um, the same people could turn to activist communities for this. Um, so people are out there exploring all these different options. And then um, finally, there's the, the category about 10% say they, they still believe they're just non-practicing. They, they're too busy to plug into organized religion anymore. And here we have to be honest uh, about social forces. It's the economy, stupid, <laughs> as uh, a past president once said. There's not enough people are overworked. They're busy. They're underpaid. You know, when you when it takes two incomes to to maintain a family uh, in most places uh, or two jobs, if you're single, people just don't have time to plug into other institutions. Um, at the same time, you know, work moves you around. There's this mobility and, and instability in people's 
where they live, uh, where they, you know, how they're, uh, how much time they have. And so, uh, I mean, I've been in so many churches where the core group of people that I was connected to there eventually just kind of moved out of the area um, one by one. That's, I was a church planter at one time in the Chicago suburbs. That's what, that's why the church didn't last is because within the space of six months, half of our people left, not because they didn't like the church, but because life pulled them elsewhere. So that's one of the reasons uh, people leave is when they move, they're less likely to come back to church. Same thing happens when people go off to college. Kids go to college, they grow up in the church, but they don't plug in when they get there and then they don't go back. Um, and, And then within this category is also what we call the duns. So there's the nuns and the duns. And the duns are people that have got burnt out on church. They were probably the the 20% that was doing all the work, right? And they there was too many demands, too much church drama, too, too much church politics. And they eventually just burnt out and they left. And they didn't go back. Um, so that's, that's another reason that this is happening. And then there's this uh, demographic snowball where the more people that leave, then the more pe- less people there are that uh, are raised in the faith. And so, uh, and then, as I said before, people that aren't raised in the faith tend to uh, stay that way. Um, last thing I'll say in response to this question, uh, don't think that most nuns, uh, are atheists. The, the percentage of atheists is very, very small. It's about 4% ish. Um, the most people that leave Christianity become agnostics, spiritual nomads, spiritual, but not religious, religiously disillusioned, but still, you know, still believers. Um, yeah. It's not that people don't have spirituality; they're just not finding it in the church. You you spoke about um, the the all of the different categories, and I think each one of us was resonating with with seeing the people that you were describing, or knowing someone that was that person or those people. Um, I certainly was doing so during that during that part of the conversation. Can you? Give us an idea of the, 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 can you characterize the beliefs and practices of the spiritual, but not religious? So the, uh, the academic answer is no, of course not, because these are, this is a diverse range of people and they, they all have their own separate reasons. Uh, the other scholarly answer is, well, yes, we've studied this and we can identify a few trends, a few broad commonalities. And so the first thing I want to say, and, and now I'm talking specifically about the spiritual, but not religious. So out of all of those categories of the nuns, you know, there's this maybe 20 percent that um, that would characterize themselves as spiritual, but not religious. And you have to understand that rhetoric first, right, to understand the, the broad characteristic of this category is um, is they define religion. Uh, well, actually, this would be if we had time, this would be an interesting thing to do here with your audience is to have you all brainstorm. What do you what comes to mind when you think of religion? And then what comes to mind when you hear the word spirituality? Now, I've done this with church groups, with uh, Christian groups, and they often remarkably say the same things that spiritual but not religious say. They say religion is associated with institutions, with rigid dogma, with rules, with uh, external control. Um, you know, all of these kind of negative descriptors. At the same time, both uh, the spiritual but not religious and uh, and Christians identify spirituality as something that's lively, that's personal, that's meaningful experiences, that's this internal um, connect, experience of connection. So uh, 
the, you know, we, we all kind of have this sense that there's something wrong or something not quite right with institutional religion. And, and there's this desire to say, I want to keep the good things about this, um, the, the personal faith, the experience of the spirit, uh, the internal personal growth, uh, but they don't want uh, this, the, the systems and structures anymore. Now, the reality is that's primarily a rhetorical device. It, it, when we look at this, SB, I'm going to call them SBNRs because it's a mouthful to uh, say spiritual but not religious every time. SBNRs, uh, they they actually do a lot of religious things. They will show up, you know, to church services or to other religious uh, communities. They will create institutions of their own and organizations and nonprofits. Um, they will have teachers that look a lot like pastors and uh, they will have authorities, you know, people that they look to that um, guide them so that they have, you know, they're doing some of the same things that organized religion does. But there's this uh, rhetoric that we don't want to be like, like, like that, um, like what's what we've experienced before. So you can't draw these lines so sharply, but the, but understand that this is uh, the way that they're thinking, at least. Um, now, besides uh, just that dichotomy that they make between religion and spirituality, there's kind of five other common characteristics. Uh, there's a rejection of religious exclusivism. So, you know, the the attitude that says there's one right way and we have it. Um, that's you're not going to hear an SBNR person say that. Um, there is a location of spiritual authority within internally with the individual. Uh, it's a rejection of external control of people telling you this is what you have to believe. It's what you have to do. This is how you have to be um, to say, I need to find my own path. I, uh, and for a lot of people, these are folks that have been taught not to trust themselves, to not trust their experiences, mm -hmm. their intuitions their And people end up in abusive situations because they are told just follow the authorities. You are not, you know, Calvinists, uh, Presbyterians, unfortunately, can sometimes slip into this. You know, that we're totally depraved. We're we're, we're sinful. Uh, we're saved only by grace. You know, there's some goodness and truth in there, but there's also a danger of um, telling people that they can't trust themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so as people come out of that and react against that, the the pendulum swings to I need to the, the ultimate spiritual authority is myself is within to listen to myself, the spirit speaking in my heart, um, which I'll point out is also a Christian value. Augustine said that, you know, 1500 years ago that uh, you want to find God look inward first. Mm -hmm. uh, the, a third characteristic is experiential spirituality. You know, the, the, uh, it's lampooned as, you know, I find God in the sunsets. But people say that, and it's true. People find God in nature, in the more than human world, um, which is a phrase we use in Illumin, and I love it because the more than human world can both be sunsets and trees and oceans and mountains and deserts, but it can also be spirit. It can be the things that imbue these things with transcendence. And so they find transcendence in the imminence of reality, of day-to-day of -day life. Um, a fourth characteristic is God is impersonal. God is not a person that you talk to, that you can be friends with, that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. That was the evangelical lingo that I grew up with. God's not like that. God's a force, an energy that they, they love to throw the word energy around. Mm -hmm. um, that 
that God is something that you tap into, but not that you have a relationship with. And this is important because it's a reaction to uh, the problem of evil, of saying, well, if God was this all-powerful, involved person, wouldn't he care enough to stop all the bad things to happen? But God doesn't. And so, well, maybe God is not like that. Maybe God or the divine or the universe or whatever is not in control of everything, not going to intervene in everything, not omnipotent, um, not involved, but is just kind of there as reality, as as an energy you can dip into. Um, and then finally, a character, common characteristic is just that humans are innately good. And this kind of is similar to the individual authority, <laughs> personal authority. It's just that people, everyone is um, doing the best they can. And so there's this attitude of non-judgment, of compassion, of personal growth. Um, now, I, I want to make note, note two things uh, in wrapping up this, uh, my answer to this question. Uh, one, note that most of these characteristics are theological. You know, these are beliefs. These are reactions to um, other theological systems that they've encountered, primarily Christian ones. And so these are not just wishy-washy, willy-nilly, but these are kind of considered thoughtful um, positions. And so the second thing I'd say is then that might be challenging to religious folks. We might want be, be inclined to get defensive or critical or say, well, they're wrong about that or that theology's uh, in error, you know, relative to what I believe to be true. I would encourage religious folks not to do that right off the bat. I mean, it's it's good to engage with things intellectually and and um, hash things out, and that can be fun. But you're, but I encourage your first response to be like to be, what's good here? What's true in what they're what they're saying? What's helpful here? Mm -hmm. Remain open to the struggles, the longings, the experiences that have led people to these uh, beliefs and these uh, ways of being, and what and ask what new tools or insights these spiritual pioneers might be uncovering uh, that religious folks can learn from. Uh, there was um, a part of your, your conversation uh, struck me, uh, <laughs> struck me pretty hard in, in regards to uh, the, the mainline Protestant church, not being very good at marketing itself. <laughs> um, and as a communicator, um, I want to take another hour and pick your brain. But having said that, um, how could a typical Presbyterian church or a mainline church engage this community? In, and I think you kind of touched on it just now, but in, in what ways could, you know, without, without saying what, what programs or what, you know, what systems or, or stuff can we, can we do to uh you know as as the structure but but that is kind of the question i'm asking how can how can the presbyterian church engage the spiritual but not religious yeah thanks um the the i'll start with the bad news i don't think you can um if okay. by that you mean how do we get them into church <laughs> how do we draw them into our institution right. how do we get them to become religious again i don't think that's going to happen for most of these folks, maybe for some, maybe some of the speak the seekers that are just looking for a place to land, maybe they will eventually come back around and land with y'all. But for the most part, if your goal is to get these people into your church, that's not uh, that's not very likely. Um, now, I take a very missional approach to Christian ministry. Uh, I've taught mission and evangelism classes at Austin Presbyterian Seminary before, and so that missional approach 
is to say the church doesn't exist to try to get people in its doors. The church exists to be out in the world, transforming the world and to, to be a blessing to the world, to be serving and loving. And so the, the advice that I would give on how to engage SBNRs is to get outside the church bubble. And, and by this, I mean, make genuine friendships with people in spiritual circles without any ulterior motive, without befriending them as a reason to, as a way to evangelize or get them to show up to church events. Just make friends We and weave those friendships into the fabric of your lives to the point where their perspectives and their experiences feel as normal to you as your own do. In other words, um, I mean, let's be, let me be frank. Church people often live in a bubble. You know, we have conversations and experiences and expectations of what's normal that feel normal to us. But from the outside, people are looking at us and saying, y'all are weird. <laughs> In the same way that some church folks might look at these spiritual folks and say, y'all are weird. Well, yeah. So get out there and immerse yourself in the weirdness. Um, one of my uh, good friends who just passed recently, Phil Lyman, he, uh, he wrote a book about called Burning Religion, where he would just show up to Burning Man every year, not exactly to evangelize, but just to be there and love people and to get to know them. Um, he immersed himself in that community. Um, and then once you've done that, once you have authentic relationships, um, find ways to learn from and partner with uh, existing spiritual communities um, to promote these alternative options that people are searching for, to say that to, to take an attitude that the spirit of God can be found outside the church in other places. And so we want to encourage people's uh, experiences with the spirit wherever they find them. And so this might look like alternative spiritual communities, which is what I would describe uh, my own work with Illumin as. Illumin is an interspiritual, interfaith organization, even though it was founded by a Franciscan priest, uh, Father uh, Rohr. It's, um, it wasn't founded to be a Christian organization. It's it provides a lot of men an alternative spiritual community. Other groups uh, do this as well. Uh, the Wild Goose Festival uh, in North Carolina every summer. It's uh, <coughs> it's a progressive Christian festival, but it's also a haven for people that are already out the door, um, but find acceptance in, in that community. Uh, so find places like that. F um, find conscious community, burner communities. Um, here in Austin and other cities too, there's uh, a thing called ecstatic dance. The one here, one of them here is uh, on Sunday mornings and they call it church and uh, people go and they just, it's free form expressive dance. And that's uh, a form of spirituality for these folks. Some people uh, go to meditation groups or to Buddhist communities. Uh, as I mentioned, other people find their, their spirituality and activism or in the queer community or in other faiths, Eastern uh, faiths, especially. Um, so reach out to these groups with a learning posture. Say, we want to, um, we want to grow as Christians by engaging with you and go to their spaces first, you know, attend their events, attend their gatherings, attend their workshops, find ways to work together for shared causes. You both care about some social thing or community thing. Great. Partner together, work on that together, host joint events, parties, you know, ha have a, a, a block party have picnics, have things that your neighbors can engage in that are joint that you're doing together with these spiritual folks and these other communities. Um, that's my best advice is to just get out the doors, 
make friends, get engaged, show up to their things, have a, a learning posture. Uh, I'm going to throw a curveball at you here. So, um, at the at the height of the uh, of the the conversations after the death of George Floyd, um, a number of uh, I was engaged in in some of that conversation and with some and some friends, and and they saw that uh, that the black community was no longer embracing the church as a means for social change because the church still held on to some theological ideas that, um, for example, uh, the LGBTQ community, that they were still holding on to theological ideas that that uh, they saw as irrelevant. And so they they did not engage the church in in the work of, of social justice. In your um, in, in the studies of the nuns and of the spiritual and not religious, um, is there is there a significant racial background? Is there a, a significant cultural shift um, that we should be aware of? I, you know, I haven't seen the exact numbers, but my sense, um, just in terms of personal experience, and this might be anecdotal, but that this this spiritual but not religious community is predominantly white. Mm-hmm. Um, when when people of color leave the church, they don't always land in the same places that some of these white spiritual seekers are landing. Um, but also the numbers of people leaving the black church in particular or, or Hispanic churches is uh, much lower than overall Christianity in America. The, the decline is among white Protestants, white mainliners, white evangelicals. There is still decline in the black church, but it's much less. It's not nearly as steep. Um, so and and some of it, a lot of it is exactly what you said because this kind of they, they might be engaged on some social issues on on um, Black Lives Matter on George Floyd stuff but they're not engaged in welcoming and including queer people um, and there's you know it, there's this notion of intersectionality uh, that all of these struggles for justice uh, overlap and if we can't trust you on this issue how can we trust you on the other issues. Right. I'm going to, at this point, let's open the conversation up to the room. Let's, uh, let's see what questions you might have for, for Mike. I don't have a question, but I do have a comment. Um, I am still religious and in the building, but my husband is a dun, and both of my children are now nuns. So I, I'm living the reality that, that we're talking about here. And my son said to me, I don't need the church anymore. I have found my tribe outside the church. And I said, okay. And he said, your tribe is inside the church. Mine is not. I said, okay. And both my children are queer, so it doesn't surprise me that they are, even though they were raised in the PCUSA church, it doesn't surprise me that they are struggling with being 
religious and finding a uh, church to belong to for, you know, going for worship services. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would thank you, Susan. Um, and, uh, and the same is true for me as well. Uh, both my children are queer. They've never been raised in a, a non-affirming church, and yet they still kind of just don't feel like church is their community, their tribe. Um, and that's, in my opinion, that's okay. Because the, because God can be found within the church, but God can be found lots of other places too. And, yes. uh, as, you know, as someone once said, the spirit blows where it wills. Um, and that our purpose is to offer people life to the full, abundant life. Um, and that we're called, that we are to offer people connection and community and purpose, uh, what we would call mission. And we can, we, the, the church can give those gifts. Religious people can give those gifts whether it's whether they give them inside the church or outside we can help uh we can offer people ways to encounter the spirit without that um with with that that are different the ways that we've typically tried to do it the ways we typically try to do it are a function of what we call christendom so i'm a historian my uh, my degree was in the history of religion and for about a thousand years christians were dominant in western society right and so we were able to create institutions that everyone had to come to and everyone had to be a part of. Mm. Um, and that maybe that works when Christians are in are dominant and have all of the political and social and cultural and religious authority. But in situations when the church doesn't have that, like in the first 500 years of the church or 300 years of the church um, or or today, we need to figure out other ways to um to give those gifts in the world, to, to be a blessing, to, to bless others as we were blessed. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that your kids are finding their tribe. I'm, I hope that they're finding spiritual meaning uh, and, and connection and purpose uh, out in those places. I do have um, a little bit of advice on how the how churches and and Christians can give those gifts, um, but I don't want to talk over other people's questions. If there was more coming up, well, uh, I'll just say a few things. Um, one, and this kind of goes along with what I was saying of getting out of the building, um, but you don't have to just get out of the building and then not do anything. Uh, get out of the building and offer things to the community. Have like I, I think I said before, have cookouts and backyard concerts uh you know so you got some musician friends which you know here in austin i have a lot uh invite them over and throw a backyard party and say we're gonna have like a little mini concert for however many we can cram in here and uh you know everyone bring some food and it's old-fashioned church potluck but it's not in the not in the building uh have movie discussion nights have theology pubs where you go out to a bar and just discuss deep issues um sponsor performance art uh, or costume dance parties, or um, spiritual retreats that are not about Christianity, but they're about connecting with the capital S spirit. Um, the 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 one advice I would give if you're going to throw these kinds of parties and host these kind of events is uh, do them in secular public spaces. I, I've organized a lot of events of this kind, and uh, my rule of thumb is I never do a 
a church event in the church building. At the same time, use your church building to offer it to the community for community events. In other words, do your religious stuff out of the doors and, and do community stuff in the doors. Um, offer it as a gift. Uh, so a church that I was attending here in Austin uh, that sadly closed down because of the pandemic, uh, it offered space to Austin Justice Coalition, a Black-led civil rights organization here. Uh, they offered it to uh, a preschool. They offered it to um, other similar groups that ne just needed space to meet. Um, and so it became a community center. And that's what it is now uh, that the church stopped meeting. Um, <clears throat> as part of that, uh, and this I'm, I'm borrowing from my friend Brian McLaren, uh, focus on becoming a school of love. In other words, the point is not to teach people about your religion. Your point is to translate your religious truths into language that anyone can access or, or that uh, at least spiritual folks that still care about these things can access, but that are focused on how do we become people who know how to love better in the world. Um, that, that, and this is not a us teaching them. This is a learning together kind of school. So I want to read uh, something from Brian's book, uh, The Great Spiritual Migration. How the world's largest religion is seeking a better way to be Christian. Mm. And he says that these skills that we might want to teach at this school of love include common courtesies, gratitude, admitting weaknesses and failures, self-reporting emotions, expressing hurt or disappointment, confronting and forgiving, asking for help, differing graciously, surfacing and negotiating competing desires, taking the first step to resolve conflicts, upholding wise boundaries, saying yes and no, winning and losing graciously, creating win-win outcomes, speaking truth in love, speaking truth to power, asking good questions, requesting feedback, expressing affection, opening one's heart, giving gifts, and seeking wise counsel. Now think about it. Where else can you go in the world to learn how to do these things i mean maybe therapy maybe self-help books but is there a dedicated community focusing on helping us love one another better um and, and why aren't more churches doing that i think that would uh, be a gift that we could give to people mm. uh, yeah uh that's amazing i would love to see a, a program or maybe be a part of a program where that's what you offer is is uh at at a at a theology pub or at at a at a community center offer classes on how to be human how to be a good human so um one of the in this uh this is uh couched in a shameless plug um next our next uh our next liminal conversation on uh on thursday october 26th is going to be with kathy lee cornell who is the the director of the synod partnership for uh disaster recovery and that's one of those when you were talking about how can the church you know go out and bring the community in invite the community in. that's one of those ways where where you can learn how to prepare your church your community uh to be that place that people can go after after disaster um, to be that that place that that people can go for for comfort, for aid, for conversation. Um, Kathy is going to be able to speak into that um, either 
um, if, as a part of our conversation and the podcast after, or just invite her to your community to come and, and speak on how your church can be better, better prepared for that. Um, do we have, okay, after that shameless plug, um, other questions or comments? I I just want to thank you for articulating uh, actually a lot of this, but I, you know, dealing with the, the standard um, white aging congregation, um, you know, that is very steeped, you know, that is living an identity that made sense 40 years ago, but is not our current reality. And, and trying to, trying to walk through that, you know, at a time when the, when the people involved, most of the players are just tired, right? They've, <laughs> they're just, um, you know, they're, they're done with their professional working lives and, and, and they just, you know, they want to come to the church and it's the place that they know and the place that they're comfortable and, and they don't want to deal with new hymns or, you know, changing liturgy and all of these things. Um, and, and, you know, that requires an energy that just doesn't exist right now. And, um, and I have been wrestling with the with the understanding that at some point you have to acknowledge those losses and grieve those cha- those losses. And in order to move forward, I love the 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 language of um, you know sort of changing things up a lot goes on in our building we really very much we're we are a downtown church and so a lot of the community life happens here it, it happens out of this space and i and i love that about it but when it comes to um the religious side of it it's like boy those boots are in concrete they're <laughs> <laughs> and so to so just to have some different language to say you know the idea of taking the religious stuff outside bringing the community and we're halfway there right we're, we're <laughs> that to me is hopeful um and and so i uh, also appreciate the the book recommendation i i I think it, there are, it sounds like there are things in there that uh, I've already, I've ordered it while we've been in this conversation, but, um, but I think that that is uh, a book for this moment that can help people who are leading in this liminal space um, to, to get some language that might be able to help sort of move people out of off center and and uh and i i appreciate that particularly as we enter into stewardship season uh <laughs> and just it's like stop stop just let it go god says i'll take care of the increase let's just let's just uh do do the our part right let's let's just go love people and see what happens so um so I just appreciate you putting into words uh, uh, some of those things that 
maybe maybe if they're not coming out of the same mouths, we'll have some some impact. <laughs> thank you so much, Christy. And um, yeah, thank you. Uh, a couple of things, you know, I want to acknowledge that the things that your your older uh, congregants you know, want to hang on to, these are good things. They're not, this is not about throwing out everything that came before, but also, you know, acknowledging that they're not meeting the needs now, or they're meeting the needs of a very few uh, and not serving the larger mission of the church. So there's there's not a, a need to condemn or throw everything out or even, but as you said, to acknowledge the loss and grieve it. Um, or sometimes you don't, you know, some churches, it's okay for a church to die. Uh, I know that's that might be hard to hear, but uh, I mean, I'm a failed church planter. It lasted for three years, and then we had to shut down. And one of the best pieces of advice I had, I got, was don't think of this as a failure. Think of this as it had, it, it was what it was supposed to be for as long as it was supposed to be. And for a lot of your churches, maybe that's 50, 60, 70 years. That's a good long run. And maybe it's okay if it fades out now and creates the fertilizer for something new to spring up. Uh, the church that I was a part of that closed down during the pandemic uh, had actually grown out of a previous church that was kind of it was Asbury United Methodist. And it was older congregation. And they just decided to gift the building to this new congregation, Servant Church. Uh, and Servant Church was young families and 30-somethings and lots of children and lively and active, engaged, as the name would imply, engaged in the community. Uh, and sadly, it, was, it didn't last because of the pandemic and because of young families tend to be mobile, like I said earlier. Um, but they were born out of the seeds of a, of a church that had died. And that's beautiful to me. Um, it's what my friend Mike Morell calls spiritual composting. Um, you don't throw out everything that came before. You use it as the fertilizer for what comes next. Um, the other thing I'd say is, you know, I, I resonate with the, I just want to do what's comfortable. I'm tired. I've, I'm retired. I'm retired. I just want to, you know, uh, do what feels good and not, uh, be, have to go out and do all of this work to be hmm. missional or relevant or whatever. That's fine. Um, do things that are fun. Like the, if the things that you're going to do out in the world, do things that you would want to be a part of that would light you up it'll light other people up too. That's why I suggest have backyard concerts, have movie discussion nights, have theology pubs, if that's your jam, have costume dance parties. Like I said, like do things that would, you know, not feel like a burden or work, do things that would be a good time. If you want to be there, other people will want to be there too. If to you, it feels like a chore you have to do because it's church uh, and your pastor's telling, you know, kicking your butt to tell you, you you're supposed to, that's, that's not going to light anybody up. So yeah, the, the kingdom of God above all should be fun. Whereas Emma Goldberg said, if it's not, if I can't dance, it's not my revolution. Mm -hmm. Mike, thank you for everything today. Um, a small favor that, that I would ask of you is that if you have um, noting that, that Christy started ordering a book before the conversation was ended, um, if you have a, a a small list of recommended reading, if you could send that to me, I'll make that part of the show notes. Sure. Um, and that's a segue into that this conversation will be posted on our podcast uh, one week from today. Um, and and ideally, those things will be in your in the in the show notes. So 
if you could do us the favor of that, we would greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. And as I shamelessly plugged earlier, um, two weeks from now, Kathy Lee Cornell will will be our um, our conversation leader, and we'll be talking about the Synod Partnership for Disaster Recovery. So I invite you to join us in two weeks for that. Um, we're again, we're grateful, Mike. If you would pray us out, or would you like one of us to pray us out of here? Oh, absolutely. I, I would love to. Excellent. Thank you. Let's breathe. Exuberant spirit of life, bursting with the brightness of flame into the coldness of our lives to warm us with a passion for justice and beauty, we welcome you. Exuberant spirit of hope, sweeping us out of the dusty corners of our apathy to breathe vitality into our struggles for change, we welcome you. Exuberant spirit of love, speaking words that leap over barriers of mistrust to convey messages of truth and understanding, we welcome you. Exuberant spirit, flame, wind, speech, burn, breathe, speak in us. Fill our world with justice and with joy. Amen. In the Synod of the Sun, we believe when we work together across boundaries, we make visible the good news and we find wholeness as the body of Christ. In our common calling, we impact lives together. So let's remember to connect with, equip, and empower one another in the name of Jesus Christ, today and every day. Thank you.